welcome to the Hearth and Hedge podcast. My name is Amberly, and I'm very happy to have you today. Today's guest is a prolific author of occult books, an editor, an aromatherapy consultant, and a taromancy practitioner. Please welcome the esteemed Judica Illis. Judica, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Amberly. I'm so happy to be here. So do you want to take a moment to tell us a little bit about yourself? I know I didn't, I didn't cover everything. <laughs> oh, you know, you, you, you reach a certain age and you've got all this history behind you. So, um, yeah, I was, I was born in New York City. I, I am genuinely a lifelong lover of witchcraft and the magical arts. I don't, I don't remember a time when they didn't fascinate me. And it was something, although... My family, they're not practitioners. They certainly wouldn't have described themselves as practitioners. There was an interest. And I had a, a, a sister who's significantly older than me who was bringing home tarot cards and occult books and astrology books, you know, when I was very little. So it, it was there. You know, it was available to me. And it's just something that I've always done. I, you know, have had mundane aspects to my life also. I was a travel consultant for a couple of years. I was a disc jockey, radio disc jockey. I, you know, I've done, a, I've done a bunch of stuff. And um, eventually everything merged. And, you know, if, if this is, you know, inspiration for people who feel they've missed the boat for something, I, I was not published very young. I was, I guess, relatively late bloomer. My first book was published about 20 years ago. And I just, it was very fortuitous. And I've been lucky enough to to write full-time. Uh, 2015, I went to work for Wiser. I am an editor and I work predominantly for Wiser Books. And I edit, um, so I, I work on my own books but I've edited, I, you know, we, I edited up recently, I, I, I've edited about a hundred other books. So that's very exciting to me because I, I love books. I love books. I love witchcraft. I love the magical arts. So it's really, it's really something that I've been able to devote my life to and which, you know, it's basically some days 24 seven. And, and um, that's where I am. That's awesome. Well, I know that uh, you edited Amy Blackthorne's books. I had her on a couple weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, I love Amy. Amy and I met long before I was working for Wiser and before she was a published author. We met, I want to say, at the Sacred Space Conference in Maryland many years ago. And, you know, and, and we hit it off and we're friends. And um, I have been lucky enough to, you know, edit edit all of Amy's books so far. And she's a wonderful, wonderful books. If you haven't read them, uh, I think the most recent one is Blackthorn's Botanical Wellness. But um, all her books, Blackthorn's Botanical Brews, they're so much fun and they're so interesting. And Amy's so knowledgeable and it's just uh, it's a pleasure. Yeah, I was actually lucky enough to interview her. And then we, we went to uh, the Hop de Grace uh, Celtic Festival together the next weekend. <laughs> oh, how much yeah. fun. That's so great. <laughs> so that was cool. Uh, she's, she's my new friend. <laughs> no, I love Amy. Amy is a wonderful person. I did, um, I don't know if you've, if, I was able to do, um, speaking of Celtic magic, 
I did Amwin Avalon's two books um, so far, okay. and she's got another one, a great one of the works that's like uh, Water Witchcraft and um, The Way of the Water Priestess. Uh, water Witchcraft is, is very largely Celtic magic. And Courtney Weber's Bridget, and there's a great anthology, you know, where we're coming up to Imbolc. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the Bridget's Light anthology, which is dedicated to the goddess, I mean, that's an Oh, oh, it's great. It's um, it, it, The editors of the project were Carol Crow and Laura Luella. Carol Crow's got her own book coming out in May. But um, contributors include Amy Blackthorne. Amy Blackthorne wrote a great piece. Um, Courtney Weber. Uh, so many brilliant people um, worked, contributed to that book. Very much a labor of love. It's called Bridget's Light. And it's just... There are nonfiction and poetry and recipes. It's good. I, I was able to edit the actual book. I'm so book. excited great. about this. She's my patron deity. She's who I oh. work with the most. Oh, so I didn't know. Oh, just, see? I have goosebumps everywhere. <laughs> oh, and Carol Crow, who is um, both a magic person and a genealogist, she's a professional genealogist, um, has a book coming out. I believe the publication day is May 1st, The Magic in Your Genes. And that's genes as in DNA, not mm-hmm. not the clothing. Not in your pants. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that would be a different book. But um, <laughs> yeah. um, it, it's, it's, um, it's ancestor work, but written by somebody who really understands the genealogy and DNA and all sorts of great rituals and information and Carol used to own the Witchy Living Store in New Orleans, where I taught, mm. I, I want to say back in 2010. And she ran the, the Witch's Ball in New Orleans, and oh, wow. she's just an amazing person. Very nice. Well, I'm excited yeah. for that to come out. Do you know when that should be published? May 1st. Ooh, okay, well. So coming soon. I'm going to have to contact Weiser. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them you want to see Bridget's Light, too. That's a great book. I will, for sure. I'm very excited about that. So, one of the silly things we do on the podcast is talk about what everyone is drinking. Are you drinking anything exciting today? Well, I am drinking something all the time, because I am a lover of tea. And I am a lover of tea. I drink tea on a therapeutic level. Um... (laughs) You know, um, if you if you if you speak to me in the morning before I've had my first two cups, you 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 will know you are speaking to me before I've had my first two cups. But I I love black tea. I love any kind of tea, green tea, Earl Grey, Russian Caravan, all sorts of tea. I drink it all day long. I mean that that is my my addiction. Um, but it's- also. And it's good for you. I mean, yeah, but, it's not a bad addiction. At all. No, it's not a bad addiction. No, 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 no. It doesn't. You know, it doesn't keep me up. Um, I'm a little stupid without it, but it doesn't. It doesn't keep me up. Like I can, I can drink a cup before bed and go to sleep. Um, and I, I read tea leaves. So, oh, you, you very know, I, I love reading tea leaves. So, I, um, that whole ritual of tea leaf reading, I love it. And um, I mean, I, I, I've done it professionally. I've gone into stores mm-hmm. too to do it. So. That's very interesting. I've never done that, but that has always uh, enthralled me. I've always been very interested in it. Oh, it's, it's, um, it's very intuitive. 
The problem I have with a lot of tea leaf reading books is the process itself is pretty simple. You can learn the process in five minutes. Mm -hmm. And I know this because I have taught it to people. So you, you buy a book and most of it is just symbols for, you know, look at your cup and if it looks like this, this is what it means. But mm -hmm. actually you should look at it and you should figure out what it means. Yeah. So it's, it's a nice leisurely way of, you know, a small divination. If you wanted something very complicated, like I, I will have a, when I read in stores, I used to read at the, um, oh, what was the name of the store? Namaste in New York City, mm -hmm. Union Square. And sometimes I would read tea leaves, but I would always have a card deck as a backup. Because if it went to a complicated place and you wanted more nuance, then I would pull out the cards. Wiser does have a book coming out, but maybe not for till later in 2023, the Tea Witch Grimoire, which I really like. Okay. Um, because it doesn't, it's not just symbols. It's recipes and rituals and there's so much, it's very magical tea. Wonderful. Wonderful. I think I may have seen that in the catalog mm. for, it's later this year, right? Forthcoming. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, are you reading anything exciting right now? I am always reading. I'm a compulsive reader. I am, you know, if you sit me down at the breakfast table, I'll read the box of cereal or, <laughs> you know, it's very hard for me not to read something. I read, I read for pleasure, but I also read for work as an editor because I'm always reading either proposals that come in or I'm literally, when you edit, you read things very, very closely you know, you, you know where all the commas are. So right now I am reading for work, but also for pleasure because she's one of my, my favorites. Uh, Rachel Pollock, um, a new edition of the Shining Tribe Tarot. Oh, very nice. Which is really, yeah, it's, it's beautiful and it's very interesting. And so I am working on the book for that. that I mean, that's literally what I have open right now. And... I read things for my own research because if I'm working on something, I, I, I like to make sure that I, I have all my T's crossed and okay. my I's dotted. Um, and then I also read things as palate cleansers just for pleasure. Mm -hmm. And I find now that I read a lot of non-metaphysical work for that. I read mysteries and I read history books and travel books because otherwise all I would read is metaphysical and, and right. sometimes, sometimes you need you need to have like almost like to to stop one thing and to start another thing. You need something in the middle, like like a palate right. cleanser. Yeah, so yeah, for sure, I, for sure. So you like mysteries? What do you have I a do. favorite mystery author? I don't have one favorite. I think of almost anything. I have many favorites. I like certain detectives. Mm -hmm. I you know I go back to Edgar Allan Poe and Agatha Christie and. There's always, you know, the long series of Marjorie Allingham, who, um, you know, was very prolific. And I find that I'm, I'm always finding another book that in the series that I haven't read yet. So that's a nice thing. I like Sarah Gran, G-R-A-N. Mm -hmm. she's, she's a newer author, um, a younger author. And um, a lot of her books have a metaphysical. There's magic in her books and the occult oh, in her books. Fun. And so... 
Yeah, you you can just read it as a mystery. You don't need to know anything. But if you do know something, it's it, it makes it even more interesting. Oh, that's great. So, yeah, I like that. I read Ruth Ware, um, who's, you know, it's these very exciting mysteries. That's wonderful. Yeah, I love mysteries. Um, I think my new favorite author right now for mysteries is T.E. Kinsey. Um, mm. And he writes uh, the Lady Hardcastle series. And she's just, you know, this funny um, older, uh, well, she's really not. They say she's older, but she's in her 40s. And uh, <laughs> I know, <laughs> which would make me older, I guess. But um, <laughs> Uh, in like the, I think, 1910s in a small town in England. And it's, you know, just silly Pez. Pez is what I, you know, we call it in my family. Just makes you happy. <laughs> I work on mystery series myself. I have a, I have an occult detective I have been working on for years. I just... Oh, great. You know, it's a, it's a different process to write fiction for me. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is a different, I, I, I'm, I really admire people who write really good fiction quickly because for me, I can sort of keep a pretty good pace with nonfiction, mm-hmm. but with fiction, I have to kind of, you know, fall into the, you know, it's like a, it's like a world. You've created a world yeah. and to sort of get into that world. And I, I leave a, I lead a somewhat hectic and chaotic life and I, I have trouble finishing that, but one day, one day there will be a a, a mystery. Well, that's exciting. I look forward to it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so, do you have a favorite practice, or do you, are you just yeah? Uh, many things, and it's also at different times of my life and what's going on. I mm-hmm. I do different things. Uh, you know, div- I started with divination. That is really where I started, and it is always part of my life so that's something that in the same way that I'm a compulsive reader you know if 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 there's if I see writing I read it and if I see something that I can interpret or divine Mm -hmm. I do it and once you are and you know if 40 is old then I am like ancient so I've been doing this for a long time and the more you do it, you can divine, you know, if candles are burning, I, I read what, to me, what the candles are saying. If there's smoke, I read the smoke. So, you know, daily omens, you, you go outside and walk and what do you see? You know, you can, if your head is in that space where everything is a message, then it's something that you do all the time. And then I guess my other practice, my old reliables, the things that I do on a daily basis um, are divination and spirit working and ancestor working, you know, which I guess is a subset of spirit working. Those are the things that I do all the time. They're second nature to me. And, you know, there have been times in my life when I had a lot of free time or I was relaxed a lot on a regular basis mm-hmm. and I did more elaborate rituals and I love doing them and then there are times in my life where 
you know, I love candle magic, but if I'm surrounded by a lot of paper, I don't do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Then I then I have to I have to plan and be cautious because fire safety is a thing. It is. <laughs> you know, so um, I, I try to, you know, magic is always supposed to make your life better. Mm-hmm. And the practice itself, there are occasions where it can be stressful, where you really need something. And so you're doing something out of necessity. And there are all sorts of reasons why it might be stressful. But on a day-to-day regular basis, it should not be adding stress to your life. Mm-hmm. It should be improving your life. And so I, I try to I, I try to follow that. I, I try to to if this is too stressful, I do some you know it, it, it's not if if going out to get the ingredients or paying for the ingredients or I don't have any privacy, how am I going to do this ritual? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll I don't think it's going to work. And so I'll find something that is more valuable for me at the present. But, you know, I'm also someone who ended up writing the Encyclopedia of 5,000 Spells. And so I have in my head a spectrum of things I can do, some of which are just more natural for me or I like more. But if they're not working at the moment and I want to do something, I can think of something else. Great, great. So... This isn't on my list of questions, but so I know I have a, a lot of people come to me and ask me, you know, so they'll tell me that they've, they've kind of lost touch with their practice. Um, yeah. And they're, you know, they're just not feeling it. What would you suggest for them to try and do to, to bring it back? Well, I would tell people not to be hard on themselves, first of all. Mm-hmm. That, that is one of the things that you, self-love and self-acceptance is a big part of successful magical practice. So if you have fallen out of your practice, there's a reason. And I would try to determine what that is. Mm-hmm. And it's happened to me too. I think it happens to all of us. Sometimes you're just doing it and it becomes rote. It's not magical anymore. You're just doing it and you're going through the motions and you're doing it and why am I doing this? And that's one thing. And then sometimes you fall out of practice because life happens. And maybe for whatever reason you're unable to continue the practice you would like to practice. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I would do is, you know, don't be angry at yourself. This this happens to all of us. If it is because it has become so rote, well, maybe sometimes you have to take a break. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you take a break, and sometimes you have to have some self-examination. Is what you are doing as your practice that may have been very meaningful to you at a time in your life, is it still what suits you now? Mm-hmm. Because maybe it has to evolve. You know, maybe you need something else or it has to evolve. And that's one thing. The other situations, you know, you, you, your practice has suffered, maybe because you're depressed. Maybe because your life has gone in in the wrong direction. Some of the things are things that we don't have control over. 
maybe, you know, life is hard and there's a lot of, there are a lot of sad stories out there. Yeah. And um, maybe you are now living with relatives and you don't have the privacy you used to have, or you're living with people who you depend on and they disapprove of what you're doing. You have to take your individual situation and figure out a way that you are able, you know, magic is, I mean, to me, you know, people tell me sometimes, they ask me what I write about. And I, you know, I write about the magical arts or I write about astrology or witchcraft. And they say, oh, I don't believe in that. And they're always sort of surprised by my reaction because they think I'm going to argue with them. And I don't, it's, it's not, I'm not a missionary, you know, I'm not here to change anybody's mind. I feel sorry for them because magic is joy. Magic is that spark of life. Magic mm-hmm. is you look out into the world and it's a world of wonders and possibility. And when you lose that spark, it is good to get it back. Even if you can't get it back in the way that worked before. And I mean, and sometimes you can. Sometimes it's as simple as you need to disassemble the altar, clean it, do a good house cleaning. I, I I'm really believe in personal cleansings. I, I cleanse all the time. It's just, it is just a good start. It's a good new way to, you know, you brush your teeth and your mouth feels fresh. Mm-hmm. Well, if you do a, a magical cleansing, you, you, you will feel fresh and you will feel a little bit better. So sometimes that's all it takes. It's just take it apart, do some cleansing, cleanse yourself, not necessarily in that order, and then put it back, put it back. But don't necessarily put it back exactly the way it was. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe shake it up a little bit. Move things around a little bit. Move that energy around. Remove something that isn't working for you. Or maybe that now has negative associations for you. Mm-hmm. And add something that, you know, what you're always looking for is that little spark of joy. That little spark of hope. That That's like the crumbs, the Hansel and Gretel crumbs that you're going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if you can just find that one thing today that gives you pleasure or that you look at it and you, oh, you know, life, you know, life is terrible, but this one thing is beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's a start. I, I would caution people not to separate their magical lives, it, not to compartmentalize. I mean, we may have to do it depending on where we're living or who we're living with or our circumstances, but in your head, your magical life is your real life. Mm -hmm. It's not like work and bills and that's real life and this is supernatural. It's Mm -hmm. not supernatural. It's natural. It's just natural is complicated. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. That's a great idea. What what is your go-to self-cleanse that you do? My go-to self-cleanse on a daily, I mean, I cleanse all the time. Um, and I, I like a bath and I put salt in the bath. Um, and it's healthy for you too. I put salt. I am an aromatherapist, which is a lot of people don't really, you know, in America, aromatherapy sounds like late air freshener, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, it's, it is the, the practice for various, you know, therapeutic and other reasons of essential oils which are plant extracts, and most of them have magical uses, plus they're antiviral, plus they're antibacterial. And I 
throw them in the bath too. I like frankincense. That's my probably my favorite essential oil. And um, I slice lemons. I, I try not to do the same thing every day mm -hmm. because to me, it's like, it's like uh, those antibiotic resistant bacteria. You, you know, yeah. you keep doing it at the same time and, and they figure out how to get around it. Uh -huh. So I always start with salt and I use different kinds of salts and, you know, salt from different places, Epsom salts and Dead Sea salt and sometimes regular table salt if that's all I've got. But um, that that is the basis. I'm always throwing salt into my bath. Sometimes I'll throw in Florida water and sometimes I'll throw in some vinegar, some sliced lemon. If you need prophetic dreams, bay leaves are very inspirational. So like before I go to bed, I'll throw in some bay leaves and, you know, fingers crossed, I'll, I'll, I'll have the right dream. I'll have the dream I wanted. Um, but, you know, I do more elaborate cleansings also depending on the, you know, maybe once a month I'll, I'll make sure to schedule a more elaborate cleansing or as needed if something has upset me or if I feel that something has been toxic, I will do a, a, a stronger, more targeted cleansing. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I never even thought of, I mean, I don't even know why, but the whole situation that you brought up, like with the antibacterial that things will get used to, you know, what you do. I always rinse because I don't take baths. Um, I don't have right. a, a bath to right. take. So I rinse with moon water. Yeah. But I only beautiful. ever use moon water. I've never changed that up at all. Well, you know, even if you, a lot of people, you know, like to do a smoke cleanse mm -hmm. and often people will go, you know, I'm going to sage. Well, don't sage all the time. You might mm -hmm. want to use mugwort or you might want to use juniper, or you might want to use rosemary or lavender. You know, you, you want to vary it just to, to make sure you're getting rid of everything that should have been gotten rid of. In my book, Pure Magic, I have a number of salt scrubs, and they can be used in the shower also. I mean, they're slippery. That's the only thing I caution people. <laughs> right. It's just to, you know, make sure that you, you don't fall and hurt yourself. Right. But they can be adapted to the shower also. Interesting. I will I will try those out. I didn't I didn't think about that. Uh, because a lot of people no longer have bathtubs. It's it's not an unusual thing. Yeah, it's a it's a shame. <laughs> but it is. Yeah. It's no, it, it's uh yeah. Yeah, I I do have a bathtub, but it's just not conducive to baths. So, we don't use yeah. it. Um So, speaking of Pure Magic, not necessarily that book, but um, of all the books that you've written, do you have a favorite that you you enjoyed writing the most? Oh, I don't know. I don't have a favorite because they're like children. Right. You know, all the children are like, all the books are like babies. And like, you know, if you favor one, like the others will be angry at you. Right. But yes. I, I definitely have books that were the most fun to write. And they are, I wrote two... There was a series published by Wiser Books. The first one was written by Ray Buckland, and I wrote the last two, the Wiser Field Guides series. And they are like mini encyclopedias, which I wrote. I wrote three 
encyclopedias back to back, like literally no break. Encyclopedia of 5,000 Spells, Encyclopedia of Witchcraft, and Encyclopedia of Spirits. And for people who don't know my work, they're, 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 when I say they're big, they're 1,000-page books. Mm-hmm. They're huge reference books. And I was just exhausted. And um, when I finished Encyclopedia of Spirits, which ironically is probably my bestseller now, it, it wasn't selling fast enough for its publisher, Harper mm-hmm. One, and they declined. I had an Encyclopedia of Angels, and I had the book that eventually became Mis- the Encyclopedia of Mystic Saints and Sages. But they, speaking of Sage, but they, um, they, they turned it down. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I didn't know what I was going to do with myself because I had been just writing like 24-7 for a couple of years. Right. And Wiser Books had this series, and they asked me if I wanted to write The Field Guide to Witches. And it's a mini encyclopedia. And I had, you know, I, I knew I knew the things that weren't in my encyclopedia of witchcraft, and it was like an opportunity mm-hmm. to explore them. But these are little books. And so they were fun. Like, this was like just, you know... I mean, I don't want to say they were easy, but right. comparatively, they were easy. It was very relaxed. And then after that book, they, um, another, the author, they, they had another author, I, I believe, writing a field guide to paganism, but the author became ill and was not able to produce the manuscript. Mm-hmm. And they needed to get another manuscript quickly. And um, they figured, you know, I'd done all this writing, I could probably do it. And they asked me if I wanted to write a field guide to the paranormal. And I said, yeah, you know, that was fun too. Uh, The Wiser Field Guide to the Paranormal, because it came out so close to the Wiser Field Guide to Witches, they asked me to write it under an alias. And so it's by Judith Joyce, but that's me. Um, And uh, that's a fun book because... I was able to reconcile a lot of paranormal is either it's either extraterrestrials or it's ghosts, mm-hmm. but you know, what do I care? I, I did both of them and I wrote it from an occultist perspective, which I think a lot of, you know, all these divisions, um, you know, paranormal versus occult. Mm-hmm. I just, I just went for it. I just had fun with it. I mean, I, it's probably my least best selling book, but, um, it, but that was the most fun to write. That's that's great. Do you have one that you least enjoyed? Well, writing? I mean, Encyclopedia of 5,000 Spells, which is my best-known book, and sometimes is my best-selling book. And, you know, it just, maybe I could write another 100 books. This will probably be the book on my tombstone. You know, it's the one people know me for. It was a harrowing experience. I mm. love, you know, Dorothy Parker said, and I echo her, I hate writing but I love having written that book. I had written two smaller books. I mean, my, I have a complicated publishing history. I wrote two books for fair winds and it was a long route to get there. That was not the original publisher. And then the person who had started the imprint at fair winds went to Harper Collins, UK. And he asked me, do you want to write this big book? of? And 5,000 Spells was originally going to be called something like The Big Book of Spells. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. I wanted to write something. I, I have another manuscript that I wanted to do, but he talked me into it. 
-hmm. And he goes, oh, you know, we'll do five, uh, you know, okay, because magic when you need it, the book before that has 150 spells. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, could you do a thousand spells? And I had a collection of spells Mm -hmm. because I had been working on something. I had shoeboxes full of note cards with spells on them. And he knew it. Could you do a thousand? Sure, but let's talk about the other manuscript. Could you do two thousand? At one point, there were up to ten thousand, and you know, spells—spells spells are things that people create. Mm-hmm. You could do another ten thousand mm-hmm. if you sat down and had the time to do it. Spells are always being tweaked and created, and every time there's something new, it can be used for a spell. Look, you can use emojis to cast spells. They didn't exist you know, some years ago. Mm-hmm. So every time there's a new development, you can create new spells. And so we decided on 5,000. He hooked me in and he said, what do you think? 450 pages enough? That's a big book. And I said, sure, because neither one of us are mathematicians. and We didn't calculate how many spells you can squeeze on a page. Mm-hmm. But when I was writing the introduction and I had already written 100 pages, I realized, you know, we uh, we were screwed, um, and, and the, bo- the book was not written in order. I wrote my favorite spells first, mm-hmm. and my favorite spells, theoretically speaking, and not necessarily my favorite spells to do, but my favorite spells as an art form are these really long, multi-step poetic spells, mm-hmm. like poetry. There are these Moroccan spells, and just... And they're in the book, but after I wrote them out, I mean, I, I think I was on 500 pages already. Mm-hmm. And it was, I, I'm a very prompt person. The first time in my life I was late for, for anything. That manuscript was late. At the end, I was just writing it with no page numbers because I was so afraid. I didn't want to see it. Um, the publisher would have been in their rights to cancel the project mm-hmm. because it was not what they asked for. And it was late. And I was just thinking, oh my God, oh my God, oh my goddess, I will never write again. They're going to cancel this. I will never write anything. I had been um, working, selling makeup in a mall before that. I'm going to have to go back to the mall. I'm going (laughs) to end up in a factory like my poor father. And, you know, I, I was weeping. But I wanted the book to be fun. So while I was crying, I was trying to keep a fun tone. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. And I was just, I was convinced no one would read it. And if they did read it, they wouldn't like it. Mm -hmm. This book was published, I think, in 2004. And it was a time there, um, folk magic did not get a lot of respect. Mm -hmm. And it is mainly folk magic, international folk magic. And I just... I'm glad I did it and it worked out well. And there were years I lived on that book. That book saved me. But um, it it was really a horrible experience. (laughs) My children hated me because all I was doing was writing. What an interesting story. I have it right here. I can see it. (laughs) It's one of my favorites. (laughs) It is. It is a thousand pages. It was, I had a wonderful copy editor because at the end I, we thought we were done and I had been working. So I had all these file cards and I organized them and they like totally covered a large dining room table. And I was working from the, you know, because the research had taken years. 
the writing took approximately nine months, but I had been researching for years and years and saving things because I was afraid I would forget them and they interested me. So mm -hmm. I, you know, I got to the end of the file cards and I thought, we're done. And we were congratulating the editors and I, we were congratulating each other. And then if you look at the book, there's actually more than 5,000 spells in there, but there are little doodads next to each spell. Mm -hmm. That way they can count them, the publisher, and make sure there were 5,000. And apparently I had lost a bunch of cards and there were only like 3,700 in there. Oh, good. And so we thought we were done and we were not. And that was the, those last ones. And I, it was very important to me not to include any animal cruelty spells. Mm -hmm. There are no spells in there that involve animal parts because it would have been easy to finish it then. But because right. there's so many spells like that, but I was committed to not, I mean, that was something that was very important to me. No animal cruelty. Um, no, no animal parts. There's no black cat bone in there. There's no, um, and so it was just those last, and the publisher was very committed to the number 5,000. I asked them if they wanted to go for 4,000 and they said, no, let's, you know, so at that point, at least I had a little bit more time, mm -hmm. even though they were not happy with me. And, uh, you know, I, it was just, I, those last thousand spells, I just wasn't sleeping. I was staying up all, all night writing. I would just mm -hmm. type until I couldn't type anymore. I was calling everybody I knew who made up spells, all my friends. They're in the acknowledgments, you know, give me a spell. Yeah. Um, and, and people <laughs> did. You know, spells are very much, they're love. And I think that's something that people don't mm -hmm. appreciate about them. Even mean spells. Every spell is intended to make somebody's life better. Whether mm -hmm. that's good or not is a different story. But the intent is that you're lacking something or you want something or you need something and the spell is going to be your vehicle to get it. And so when people give you a spell, you know, it is an attempt to help you improve your life. And so mm -hmm. I, you know, in hindsight, I can laugh about it at the time. It was just, it was just an awful experience. Well, I'm glad you came through because it really is a great book. I use it all the time for just. Well, jumping that's off why I went into the you know? second encyclopedia because I thought no one would read this book and I didn't really understand anything about publishing. I mean, ironically, I know now I didn't know anything about pre-orders or marketing and they didn't tell me anything. And I just was convinced no one would read this book and everyone would hate this book. And when they offered me something else, I thought, oh, I better sign a contract fast before they realize this book isn't going to sell anything. Not understanding that, of course, they already knew. Um, so mm -hmm. I jumped right, you know, I never had a break between 5,000 Spells and Encyclopedia of Witchcraft. So, but that's why. Mm -hmm. It, it never occurred to me that, wow. you know, that I could take a break. I just, you know, this or them all. Right. That That's a scary prospect, I'm sure. <laughs> it is a scary prospect, yeah. So do you have any uh, any books in the works right now? I have something in my head 
I always have, I, I have multiple books in my head. We're going to see what transpires. I don't know yet. I've got some fiction. I have maybe another encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. I, I always say I'm never going to write another one, but then something pops into my head. I started writing. I didn't set out mm-hmm. to be a metaphysical writer. It ended up that way. I have a manuscript that I first started to, I first tried to publish in 1998 on fertility, on all kinds of methods of healing your, your fertility, enhancing your fertility, getting pregnant when you are having trouble getting pregnant. And it has all sorts of herbal and spiritual and magical. And because it is, I mean, in some ways it's the prototype of 5,000 spells and the man who conceived of 5,000 mm-hmm. spells rejected that book. I mean, he really starts my publishing career. It, it doesn't fit nicely on a bookshelf and it is always being turned down. I, I will probably at some point try to publish it again. It, it needs to be updated because it's a, you know, it's a little old now, the manuscript, but every couple of years I, I send it back out again. And, and it's very lucky for me. I, I'm, I'm always, you know, being offered something else but so far, and it's too big for me to publish on my own, but, um, mm-hmm. y- you know, that book had a chapter on magic spells and he turned down the manuscript, but liked that chapter and asked if I could expand that chapter mm-hmm. into the book that eventually became pure magic. And I said, sure, you know, I really okay. wanted it to be published. And that wasn't what he wanted was not a hard thing for me. It was a topic I knew really well, mm-hmm. unbeknownst to him, he could have, you know, asked me if I wanted to write a book at that point about, I don't know, TV antennas. And I probably would have said, sure, because I really wish I know nothing about, but um, and I'm sure I'm not qualified to write, but I want, I really wanted to be published at that point. So, you know, I, yeah. the sewer systems, no problem. I'll do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so, um, we're going to switch topics a little bit. So if there were three things, are there, if there were three things that you had to have on your altar, you can obviously have other stuff too, but what are the three things that you must have on your altar? The three things I have to have on my altar, a chalice. I always have water on my altar. Um, that I may have other beverages too, but I always have water for a number of reasons. I would have a candle. Now, depending where I am, if I was, if I was creating an altar in a hotel room, let's say, where I'm not allowed to light a candle, I might have one of those, you know, battery operated candles, but I would have something, Mm -hmm. uh, some sort of light. Um, and some sort of metal implement. I have a, I really like metal as an element, you know, in, in, in mm-hmm. the East, you know, like in China, they have five, it's not four elements, it's five. And, and I, I like metal very much and I'm very attuned to that. I have a fairly ornate brass dagger that I obtained in Morocco. That's my standard. But mm-hmm. if I was traveling and I, you know, didn't want to take it with me. I've used horseshoes. I've used horseshoes. Sometimes uh, 
pair of scissors, um, a knife. Um, but those would be the three things that I would have to have on an altar. Like the most basic. Very nice. I've never had anyone say chalice. And I don't, I don't know why that surprised me. I have three on my altar right now. Some sort of vessel, <laughs> I mean, some sort of vessel of water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, this is one of my favorites. If you could meet any witch in past or present. Oh my God. So many, so many. I wish I could, you know, have one of those dinner parties where you invite, you know, magical practitioners of all ages. And that would be great. I think right now, I mean, if you ask me next week, I may have a different answer for you. Huh. Sybil Leak. Sybil Leak, who, you know, is not really a figure from the past for me because I'm old enough to have read her books when they came out. And I saw her on television as a child. Mm -hmm. I saw her on Merv Griffin or Mike Douglas. I, you know, so she's very much a, you know, I can only envision what would Marie Laveau be like or Bridget Bishop as a, as a person. Mm -hmm. But I, I saw and I heard Sybil Leake and I know people who met her. So she's very much a vital presence. Mm -hmm. I, I find her very interesting I think she's been very much forgotten and I, I would like to pick her brain. I think she is someone who would have a lot of information for us now. She would be able to really talk about things now and how they've changed in such a short time and evolved. But many other people also, I mean, Marie Laveau, who I think um, is not Mm -hmm. given enough credit. She's, very much put in a box as this sort of a figure. But I think Marie Laveau may be the person who has influenced American magical practices more than anyone. And America has influenced the magical practices of so many other places that she is really a worldwide influence. And there's just sort of this... Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people like to keep her in a small box or... You know, but she was really just a genius, a brilliant, a brilliant, brilliant person. Yeah. Yeah, she's definitely yeah. an interesting character. And, you know, her teacher, Dr. John, who is, you know, all these people who are sort of forgotten. Oh, see, you can't get me going on this. Um, there is, in, in, in my Encyclopedia of Witchcraft, um, I, I have, like, heroes of the witchcraft era. Pascal Beverly Randolph. And he is somebody who is not well-known. but He's an American, Pascal Beverly Randolph, and he's also a brilliant person, a Rosicrucian and a hoodoo doctor and a, and, and a ceremonial magician and someone who really was a, an influence on Helena Blavatsky and on Aleister Crowley. And if you are practicing any kind of sex magic, you are being influenced by Pascal Beverly Randolph. Who's very tragic and very un- unappreciated. He was a, a, a person of mixed race, a, a black man in America, and um, was not given the power and respect that he deserved. And I, you know, I'd love to have dinner with him. Mm-hmm. He traveled around the world. He 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 knew so many things and saw so many things, and and you know was able to integrate so many different 
sort of lines of the occult and bring them together. And, uh, you know, I mean, can you, that's a great dinner party, you know, Sybil Lee and mm -hmm. Dr. Yeah. John and Marie Laveau and Pascal Beverly Randolph. And I would just be happy to be like, mm -hmm. the, you know, I'd just be the waitress and keep bringing them like food and drinks and listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be a pretty interesting evening. So do you work with any one pantheon? I am a spiritually promiscuous person. I do not work with any one pantheon. <laughs> I have my own pantheon of spirits. And I mean, it's, I don't really talk about, there are a lot of interesting people out there and they're doing whatever they're doing. And, you know, mm -hmm. and if you talk to people privately, I mean, the internet has been really good social media for occultists and witches and metaphysical people because we can meet people from around the world and learn from them and you know become friends with people that we would never have encountered but there's also this desire to keep people in boxes and i mean i have aquarius rising mm -hmm. i break all the boxes and um so i i i mean it's very interesting though because i am very spiritually promiscuous i i'm just fascinated by different mm -hmm. spirits and different traditions. But when I began to do my genealogy work, and um, this is when my father became very ill, I realized, you know, he might not be with us for very much longer. And I got a DNA sample, you know, it was sort of, you know, my last chance. And then we started exploring. Mm -hmm. And this was after I had written several of my books. But what we discovered was a very diverse ancestry. Um, whether from the DNA aspect or the genealogy. And Carol Crow's book will explain all of this mm -hmm. better than I can, but the difference between DNA research um, and the genealogy, which might go back very far, you know, beyond what can be shown mm -hmm. in current DNA tests. But, you know, you may have documentation mm -hmm. about your ancestors and where they were and who they are. And... I wrote about many of my ancestors and didn't know that I was. And That's I, a lot of traditions that appealed to me or certain spirits that appealed mm -hmm. to me, even though they might not be the spiritual practices of my immediate ancestors, I had ancestors who practiced and, and venerated those spirits. And so, you know, it's all, you know, why do you do what you do and why there's the Rumi quote, that which you are seeking is causing you to seek. And I, I find that to be very true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. that's really interesting. So I have a book club and currently we're oh, reading wow. Pure Magic. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was, I decided to choose one of the books oh, over here just, since that's so I nice. was going to chat with you. Yeah, well, we're really enjoying it. Uh, we've just finished part two. Um, so we're going to split up um, the last part, I think, into two groups. We usually do like 50 pages at a time around, around bouts. So in part two of the book, and we've talked about it a little bit more and, and kind of came up with some ideas, but you talk about the dog uh, being close with both the world of the living and the world of the dead. Um, and at the time we hadn't thought about it, but we, uh, we hadn't heard that before. Um, 
Where would you suggest we go to learn more about, about that? You know, this is the thing. We all have what we know and what we don't know. You know, uh, people are sometimes very surprised mm -hmm. with things that I don't know. Like, I know a lot about some things and then I'm like, you know, but you don't know this. And, and I just, sometimes I'm, you know, why don't I know that? But I don't. Um, that's actually, that's mm -hmm. not an obscure thing. Um, and one of the things I would recommend, I will tell you something metaphysical and also not metaphysical, is it may not be written about in metaphysical books per se. You may need to look at anthropology mm -hmm. books and history books. There is a lot, but okay. dogs as intermediaries between the world of the living and the dead. I mean, think about Hecate and her dogs. Cerberus okay. guards the gates of Hades. Um, right. There is a really nice book. It's very specific. It's not on dogs in general. I don't remember who wrote it, but it's on the black dogs of Britain. Because there's a lot of, you know, I mean, okay. and if you read Harry Potter, the, I think the Grimm, these are, it's based on English folklore. And these yeah. the black shuck, these, these supernals, magical dogs who may or may not be actual dogs who manifest mm -hmm. to, um, I mean, they're not, it's not just for the dead. They, they may, some of them manifest to protect a sacred site or to protect a person. You're walking in a dangerous place and all of a sudden a dog appears, walks with you and then vanishes almost like those stories about the angels that appear, you know, you're on the highway with a flat mm -hmm. tire and an angel appears. So very similar to that. But um, there are, if you, it, it, it's not just a European custom in Mexico. Mm -hmm. I, they have the dogs. Right. I don't remember what they're called. They're, they're these. They're the, they're, the word is so No, hard. no. The, <laughs> The Sholo it's right? I know. I, I, I learned how to rip, but um, they, there are these dogs. They're statues because dog, dogs used to be okay. buried with living. I mean, if you had a pet, they, they would kill the dog or buried alive with someone. And at some point in Mexico, I mean, it wasn't Mexico yet, pre-Columbian, the area that mm -hmm. is now Mexico, they developed these clay statues, terracotta that were buried with people because in some traditions, if you, when you die, you wake up or you, you, you pass into another realm and you just, you're not automatically where you need to be. You need to get from point A to point mm -hmm. B. You have to sort of travel. I mean, we see in Greek mythology, you have to go on the boat with Karen and, um, but there's mm -hmm. a lot of similar right. traditions where you will ha you may have to pass tests or you may have to get from some place to another place and in many traditions you have a psychopomp and the word psychopomp refers to escort service to the beyond and hecate for example is a psychopomp michael archangel um some of the other angels um various spirits and dogs if you don't have a dog you may just be wandering in the afterlife forever. So this concept of when you get to the afterlife, there will be a dog waiting for you to walk with you. And, you know, if you're a dog lover like me, that's that's sort of a comforting thought. Um, 
But yeah. yeah, a lot of anthropology, if you look up the history of dogs, you'll find a lot of um, deities involved with dogs. Either have a dog as a companion or a sacred animal. Artemis, who, you know, mm -hmm. people don't always think, but Artemis is, um, mm -hmm. is associated with death also. Um, mm -hmm. or, or they may take the form of a dog. And you think about, um, I'm not going to get all Hungarian, I'm going to pronounce it like an American, Anubis, um, you know, who, who takes the form of a jackal or also a black dog, you know, however you mm -hmm. want to interpret that, um, and who is guardian of the dead. So there, there are, there's a lot of canine imagery having to do with death. So I don't know that anybody has yeah. written one. I mean, I mean, maybe somebody should. It's, it would be a good book. But um, not yeah. necessarily me. I, I put that out to other people. But, um, <laughs> you know, I don't know that there's one book about dogs and death. But it, it is mm -hmm. it is a thread that runs through many traditions and, and is pretty ancient. Interesting. Yeah, after we had chatted, we kind of we thought of Anubis mm -hmm. and, and um, you know, the dogs in Mexico. But there was obviously much more that we didn't think of. So thank you for that. Another thing you brought up in part two that just, it made me laugh so hard because if I wear white, my ancestors must really need to talk to me <laughs> because you wrote that if you're a messy eater, it may be because the ancestors are trying yeah. to get your attention. Is this something that, just oh yeah! I mean, food is always falling off my fork. <laughs> I, I am, you know, it's embarrassing. I mean, I, I, if I'm eating with like, you know, trying to make a good impression, I'm very conscious. Um, but yeah, but I mean, it does it anyway. And somebody told me that I, I, you know, <laughs> it happened, and I was embarrassed, and I was with magical people, and was an old, older person, and they said to me, "Don't be embarrassed." And this is like years ago way before like you know everybody mm -hmm. talks about ancestors now it wasn't you know outside of ethnic communities it wasn't really something that people talked mm -hmm. about 20 years ago 25 years ago and he said oh you know they're right. trying to get in touch with you from the other side don't just be embarrassed look at the food what the because because you know we were talking about ah. divination you can read anything you can read mm -hmm. so instead of just I mean, I wear aprons now. When I'm eating by myself, I wear aprons a lot. Um, and which also, it might be an encyclopedia of witchcraft, I think. Aprons start off as a sacred garment. You know, now it's like, you know, the housewife in the kitchen. But um, but they, they began mm -hmm. way back when. And, you know, the, the goddess Athena has an apron and lasts in Freemasonry and in blacksmithing. But um, I look at what actually fell because it may give you a hint as to who, who is speaking or what do they want you know what what why did your green peas fall and not your mashed potatoes you, you know to look mm -hmm. at it that way and is there something and maybe even just to keep a little record in your head is it something consistently? It's not just that you're clumsy. And, you know, maybe I am clumsy. So, I mean, you know, it, it's not mutually exclusive. You could be clumsy and the ancestors want to speak to you, too. 
Yeah. <laughs> or maybe they're making you funny. clumsy. You know, it, it's a little, um, little mm -hmm. possession. I mean, not a possession like The Exorcist, like the movie, but a little bit where, right. you know, sometimes in the way that automatic writing, you know, where is that movement coming from? Mm -hmm. um, so if, if okay. your hand is all of a sudden maybe a little shaky, why is that? Interesting. Interesting. It must be, I mean, I'm trying to think who really, really likes coffee. <laughs> That's what always trips. Oh, oh, a lot of oh no, a lot of it. Coffee is a big one. Coffee is big, and and it, especially if you coffee, tea, caffeinated beverages, the things that we take for granted, they were. I mean, if you were, you know, I think for a lot of people for ancestor work, and one day I think I will. I would like to write an ancestor work book. Um, People think about their ancestors and they're thinking their grandparents, their great grandparents, you know, who has caused the trauma in my immediate family. But every one of us is a miracle because if you are alive now, what that means is every one of your ancestors going back to those first humans, and that is going back thousands and thousands of years, stayed alive long enough to reproduce. And mm -hmm. many of them may have died after that. And I mean, somebody took care of the babies. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, there are yeah. a lot of reasons why that might not happen. Caffeinated beverages, which, you know, mm -hmm. if you take my tea away, I will have a very sad existence. But caffeinated beverages, if you were thinking back a couple mm -hmm. hundred years, they were precious. They were rare. I mean depending where you were i mean if you were living in ethiopia maybe you have had coffee for a very long time or if you've been living in china you've had tea for a very long time but if you are living i don't know you know in the middle of europe or mm -hmm. you know western asia maybe these you know it, it may not be that easy to get the things that we think are common now used to be right. very precious and very pricey if you want your ancestors to wake up and listen to you, give them a cup of coffee. And if your coffee is spilling, maybe they're telling you to wake up. Mm -hmm. So either they're telling you maybe they want some. I, I find that when it, when I do it a lot and it's one okay. thing, I give it to them. I, it's, it's like they're taking it. Because sometimes I, I, I give my mm -hmm. ancestors food offerings. Um on a daily basis, on a small level, like mm -hmm. um, sometimes like dollhouse size portions, but I, on a daily basis. And um, so, but also I think sometimes they, when your food is spilling, they're actually taking mm -hmm. it. You know, this is what I want. And it's a way of establishing communication. So they may be telling you that's what they want, mm -hmm. or they may be telling you that's what you need. So coffee, wake up and smell the coffee. You know, what does coffee do? The caffeinated beverages are very, you know, there's tea, there's coffee, there's um, mate in South America. You know, there are a couple others. They're powerful. They're magical. It's not just something that you run to the store and you pick up a cup of coffee and, you know, you try to balance it between your legs as you're driving. Yeah. It, it, these are potions. And so what do they do? They wake you up. They make you see things. They... People, there are a lot of people who think coffee changed the world. 
because when coffee came west, all of a sudden there were coffee houses and people were discussing. And would there have been an American Revolution? Would there have been a French Revolution without coffee houses? Who's to say? You know, it is a force. Mm -hmm. It's not just a drink. It's a force. It, it is a little, I mean, we haven't talked about animism. And I don't, yeah, I think we do. I think they do mention animism and pure magic. But, you know, everything mm -hmm. is having a force and a personality and an energy. Yeah. And so what do you surround yourself with? If you don't want to wake up, maybe, you know, you need to tone down those the caffeinated beverages. Yeah, I, I believe you do mention it in Pure Magic. That's very, I just, that's very interesting. You keep bringing up these things and now I'm like, my brain is just going and I love it. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. <laughs> um, so the nature of a lot of the books that are published of late, well, I mean, that are just public, published in the occult are usually like beginner to intermediate level you know, occult uh, books. Do you have, do you plan on publishing any that are on the advanced side? You know, there's a reason for that, though. You have to look at it from the publisher's perspective. What is the, so if I teach a class and I teach a class in person or even a, a, a Zoom class, a virtual class, you know, there are, I don't know, some people there and I can talk to them before I start the class. You know, what level are you on? And I mean, and I can tailor it to them or, you know, the thing is, people lie. No one says they want to be a beginner. Do you, do you know this? Oh, yeah. But I know that somebody in the room doesn't know. And so the problem with publishing is you can't control your audience. That makes sense. You can't, you know. So there's a, there's a reason why there are so many beginner and intermediate books. Mm -hmm. Because it's just, it's, it's just easier to put out something that you can assume that more people will understand them less. I try in my books, I don't, I try in my books to balance. I don't want to lose anybody. Mm -hmm. And any book might be somebody's first book. You don't That's know true. what somebody's first magical mm -hmm. book will be. And so I try to balance it by keeping it accessible explaining things so I don't lose anybody, mm -hmm. but also making sure there is enough sophisticated content that somebody who has picked up the book and who is an advanced person mm -hmm. is, um, you know, not bored. Right. You know, you, 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 you want to always find a new thing. Mm -hmm. um, I think out of all my books, Pure Magic is maybe the most accessible to beginners. Mm -hmm. Because I, I wanted to write a very honest guide to spellcasting. Mm -hmm. Because when I wrote that, I saw a lot of magic books. So I'll compare it to a cookbook. You buy a cookbook and you create a recipe and it's a chef's cookbook. Mm -hmm. And you've had this dish in the restaurant. And you make it at home. And it doesn't come out exactly. And you think it's you. You assume it's you. Oh, well, I can't cook or, oh, I, I didn't, you know, but really maybe there was something in the recipe that was designed so you would never exactly reproduce yeah. the dish. And if you are an advanced person and you are another chef, you might look at that recipe and realize that right away. Mm -hmm. But if you're a beginner, you blame yourself. 
Right. And it is true with a lot of spell casting books too. Mm -hmm. I read a lot. I mean, and that book was the original book was written around the turn of the century. And I saw a lot of books and I, because I had been doing it for a long time, I could tell those spells weren't going to work. Mm -hmm. Those spells were written by somebody who hadn't actually done them. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to write a book that was going to work and that was going to be real because mm -hmm. the book was originally published under the name Earth Mother Magic. I did not come up with that title and I did not like that title, but you know, basically I was told it's, you know, it's going to be called Earth Mother Magic. Go write it. And I, I had to wrestle with that mm -hmm. because the, the fact about books and I love books is that trees are cut down for them. And how do you call something Earth Mother Magic in the knowledge that trees are going to be cut down? And I'm not a hypocrite and it bothered me. Mm -hmm. I love trees. And in fact, when I wrote Encyclopedia of Witchcraft, the first part of the book that I wrote was a section on trees associated with witchcraft. Mm -hmm. And I thought about it and I th the only thing I could do to justify it was that I was going to write a really honest book about how it's done mm -hmm. with no agenda. Like, I'm not going to tell you what you have to believe. I'm not going to tell you that you have to do it this way. You know, why are there no circles in that book? Because a lot of the world doesn't use circles. The concept of casting a, a circle between a spell is very Western mm -hmm. and Western European, and there's nothing wrong with it. And it, you know, and if you like doing it, it can enhance your spell. There's a lot of power in a circle, but also if you don't come from a tradition that has spells uh, that has circles, there's nothing wrong with that either. Mm -hmm. you, you, you know, it's just it's just a different way of doing it. It's not like I'm not going to tell you you ha you must do it this way, or right. it won't work because spells are spells are a shared human heritage, and everyone around the world works with magical energy, even if we do it in a different way. Mm -hmm. And so you have to find what works for you. I don't know. I would like to teach. I would like to actually teach more advanced classes, mm -hmm. but I would like you know I have plans that everything takes me longer than I wanted to do. But I would like to eventually teach some virtual, small virtual classes where we could be very advanced and go into depth and I could answer questions. In a book, I don't know. You know, I could have been an academic writer. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a background and I, I didn't, I chose not to be an academic writer. Mm -hmm. A lot of academically oriented magic books are very advanced. Mm -hmm. They're also dry. They're also writing about. Mm -hmm. And I did, I wanted to write from within. Like, you know, I'm the witch. Mm -hmm. I don't want to write about the witches. Right. I want to tell it from the, from the perspective of someone who, who loves this and who is a practitioner mm -hmm. and who does it. Not somebody who, who will talk about the minute arcana but it's distanced. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that I would write, I don't know that I would ever write a book that is so advanced that it would keep out people, other people, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, I like to be inclusive. I, I mm -hmm. like to, to, you know, but I, I definitely would like to teach some classes because there are, you know, esoteric topics that I would love to delve into more and mm -hmm. 
publishers want to publish a certain amount of books and there may not be interest yeah in, in publishing it yeah. well i will tell you i have learned things in pure magic and i don't consider myself a beginner i definitely don't consider myself advanced but i have absolutely learned new things in both pure magic and daily magic oh i'm so glad i'm so, so glad i think there's definitely something to be picked out of out of any book really um, and you're right. You don't know what someone's first book is going to be. And my first book was not in any way, shape or form, a 101 book. <laughs> not to, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not here to embarrass or point the finger at anyone, but I will tell you that in my youth, there were many, there were many more metaphysical stores than there are now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's an, and that's an economic issue. That's, you know, rent used to be less expensive. Mm-hmm. And there was a store I would go into, and it was a wonderful store, and I would go in there and buy things. But the sales staff who work there, you know, the attitude was, we're witchier than you are. Oh, I hate that. And I hate that. And it didn't really bother me because although I am certainly insecure about other things. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I used to be a terribly shy person. The fact that I'm sitting here speaking to a stranger, you know, um, and it's going to, other people are going to hear me. I mean, sometimes it's mind blowing to me because I was well into my thirties before I could speak comfortably with, I mean, that's a whole other story, Mm -hmm. but, um, I would just go in and get out. But I mean, my, my magical background, maybe because I've been doing it for a long time and because I didn't have a family who criticized me for it. You know, I was never, the worst thing they ever did was roll their eyes at me. Mm-hmm. Like no one, I was never made to feel bad for my interests or, or to feel stupid or silly. So I would go in and get stuff, but I could never recommend that store to anybody else mm-hmm. because you'd go in and be friendly and they, they, they diminish people. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want that with my books. I want people. And I mean, and I read books and I know, I know the author doesn't mean it badly. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not deliberately being exclusionary, but all my life I have read books, occult books where I can tell that the author cannot imagine that someone like me is reading it. Mm-hmm. They, they think their readership are people just like them from similar ethnic background, similar socioeconomic background. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always tell my, as an editor, I tell my authors, and I don't know if they always want to hear it. Your audience is broader than you can ever imagine. Your books will travel around the world and people who maybe have nothing in common with you personally, mm-hmm. other than an interest in metaphysics, have to be able to feel welcome in your books yeah. because I know what it's like to feel unwelcome. And so I don't, I don't want that for my books. I don't yeah. want people to feel excluded. I don't want people not to feel that the author can't even imagine me reading this book. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm not whatever, you know. So I, I, you know, I'm from New York city. I'm from Queens. And for people who don't know, Queens is like the, one of the most diverse places on earth. Like Mm -hmm. you go to the hospital and the signs are in like 80 languages. And that's, that's where I grew up. And English is not my first language. And I, 
I want my books to have that queen's aura. I want you, whoever you are and wherever you're from and whatever faith you were raised in or whatever faith you, you know, you subscribe to now, I don't want you to feel unwelcome. I mean, and I'm sure, I don't know that anybody can do that to make everybody feel welcome. Right. I, I, that may be an impossible task, mm -hmm. but, but I'm doing my best to not, you know, to, to, to welcome, we're all magical people. Yeah. We, magic, I say in the book, magic is our birthright. If you are a human being, magic is your birthright. It doesn't matter what part of the world you're from. doesn't matter what you look like, what you weigh, what, you know, do you have good hair? I mean, none of that, none of that matters. Mm -hmm. It's there to make your life better. Yeah. It's interesting. And you know what? You're absolutely right. Um, the audience is never what you think it's going to be. Um, I have listeners from Afghanistan. Uh, sure. From Belize. From I mean, all over the, the world. That it, it never ceases to amaze me that, you know. I love to travel and I haven't traveled enough. And my, but my books do my traveling for me. And my books, I, you know, have been in Tanzania. And, uh, you know, Dubai mm -hmm. and all over the world. And I, it, it make it brings me a lot of joy to know that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I mean, I have fan bases in Lebanon and the Philippines. Wow. I mean, if you had asked me to predict where my fan bases are, I don't know that those would have automatically sprung to mind, right. but that means a lot to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes me very happy. Yeah, that's very cool. Very cool. So I'm going to switch us up again. This has nothing to do with metaphysics. Okay. And you, you touched on it earlier, but I read today that you were a blues disc jockey. I was. Can you just tell me a little bit about that? Because it's just interesting. I, I mean, that's, I mean, it actually touches on, on my speech issues. You know, I, um, I have no air signs in my chart other than my, my rising sign. And speech, I mean, you know, I may compensate by writing books that are, you know, too big, but, um, um, you know, there, there's certainly not a lack of words in my <laughs> books, but, but, but speech has always been an issue for me. And I, I just, you know, I love blues music. I mean, I, I've actually occasionally, I, I taught a class at the Occult Humanities Conference at NYU about the um, magical references in blues music. And um, I heard it, you know, I loved the radio as a child. I used to like, like just dial, you know, I'm old. Like I was born in 1960. And so when I was tiny and I was a child, I was an accident. My, my sister and I have a cousin who we were very close to. We lived in the same building. They're 12 years older than me. So I was left to my own devices a lot, and I would play with the radio, you know, just dialing it up and down the dial. And I heard Howlin' Wolf when I was very little, you know, howling, and um, he made a big impression on me. And I just, you know, why do you love what you love? People are always asking me why, why, why did you get interested in magic? Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I loved it. Mm -hmm. It's true love. The first time I saw tarot cards. It was just love. And I heard blues music and it just 
resonated with me. And I'm, I'm a faithful person. All those things that I heard and saw as a small child, I still love them. So um, fast forward, I went to Rutgers College in New Jersey and they had a radio station. And I mean, long story short, I didn't want to be there, but they had a radio station. And I thought at that time, I, I just, I loved the radio. Even to the, I, I love the radio. And I went to work there and I didn't want to be a D everybody went there because they wanted to be a DJ, but I didn't want to be a DJ because you had to talk. Mm -hmm. I was just, I bought coffee for the DJs. I filed the records. I like just did stuff, mm -hmm. but I became a part of, you know, a part of the furniture essentially. Mm -hmm. And I was always encouraged to be a disc jockey. And I was also the only woman there at that time. We're talking early eighties well, late 70s, um, I was the only girl in that department. And they couldn't conceive that someone wouldn't want to be a disc jockey. <laughs> but it it scared me. Mm -hmm. It was very stressful. You know, I don't listen to my interviews even now. Oh. I did the audiobook for, I read the audiobook for Pure Magic. And that to me was mind-blowing. You, you know, you can buy it. But um, that some because as a child I was always mocked. Mm -hmm. Learning to speak English was a really, mm -hmm. and I was an English major. That was a really big deal for me. Yeah. Um, there are certain sounds I had to go to speech therapy. You know, certain sounds don't exist in Hungarian that exist in English, mm -hmm. and it's very different type of a language. And that's true of other languages also. Not every language has the sound, the same sounds. You use different muscles in your face mm -hmm. to, to, to enunciate them. So it was very, very stressful for me. But when I was there, they had a blues program and the guy who did the blues program two hours, I think on a Wednesday or a Thursday night was retiring. And they asked me if I wanted to do it. And if I, and I was the only one who was into it. There was, it, it wasn't like me or the other guy. It was me or it goes off the air. Right. And it, and it was very important for me to keep this on the air. Uh -huh. So I said, I would do it. And if you listen, and if you listen to my early shows, I barely spoke. Mm -hmm. I just played a lot of music, and um, I eventually I brought in other people. Mm -hmm. You know, I would always have a partner because, you know, I never did it by I did it by myself a little bit in the beginning, and then I would get other people in to come and do it with me, mm -hmm. mainly because I wanted someone to speak. Yeah, and you know, for people who speak easily or who have always spoken one language, it's not stressful. You just do it. Right. It's like breathing. But if, you know, I, I was made fun of a lot when I was a little mm -hmm. kid. I, I, you know, I was bullied at school. You know, they would, um, I was okay in New York, but once I moved to New Jersey, you know, every time I opened my mouth, I, I was a source of humor. Mm -hmm. So it, it was much safer not to speak. Right. Kids are jerks. <laughs> Oh, people are terrible. People are, we are, we are a terrible species. I'm always so offended when people go, oh, you know, he's an animal. Animals are so much better than yeah. we are. That's a true story. We're the worst. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I feel you there. I, I definitely prefer the company of, of my dogs over most humans. <laughs> but there's a lot of magical references in blues music and muddy waters and, and in rhythm and blues music too. There's, I think a lot, there's an Iquette song called um, the Gong Gong song on blue. 
And in it, the, 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 the narrator of the song talks about how she goes to get a reading. And, and she goes, I hope the reading was wrong. Because the reader told her that, you know, her, 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 her love was not true. Mm-hmm. And it's unfaithful. She goes, oh, I hope that, re- that that's the chorus. I hope her reading was wrong. And I always think I would like to have that as like, you know, do you remember when you, know, you had songs on voicemail? Uh-huh. I would have that. <laughs> oh, that's been a while. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm old. <laughs> People don't even use voicemail anymore. It's like no. my son hasn't even set his up. <laughs> No, mine either. (laughs) (laughs) Which makes me nuts sometimes. I, like, want to call and leave him a message, but I can't, so I have to text him. (laughs) Yeah. Me too. Well, thank you for telling me about that, that disc jockeying, that was a great little anecdote. Well, that's how it started. And then eventually I did other, you know, I, I became a disc jockey and I would fill in the guy who came in. The guy, I did a, I did a regular like rock and roll freeform radio. Mm-hmm. And then there was, a, I, there was a point where I thought I would do that as a career. And then, you know, radio got computerized and I didn't have the technical, you know, I didn't have confidence in my voice. I thought no one, you know, my, my strength was my knowledge of the music mm-hmm. and my ability to put it together in a way that was entertaining and interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can put one song after another, after another. Mm-hmm. I thought that was my skill. I didn't think anyone would actually want to listen to me speak. So if they didn't need those other skills, what am I going to do? Like right. they'll hire somebody else. But I did, um, I did a regular rock and roll show, but I would make people listen to the R&B music. You know, I would just slip the James, the James Brown in there anyway, because uh, it's what I loved and I wanted them to hear it. Right. And I mean, I do this with my books, too. Like, you know, I, I may be writing this sort of standard, this is what you need to know, but mm-hmm. I'm going to slip in a little something extra because I love it. And I, I think somebody else out there will love it, too. The jazz guy always was late. He would leave me there. So I would just do his show until he showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, That's funny. I miss it. You know, sometimes I think, you know, if I had a different life and I had more time, I would like to do a podcast and play more music. Um, on my Twitter, I'm always playing music. And I don't know if, you know, if anybody's, if it means anything to anybody, but I enjoy it. So I just do it. That's great. That's great. That's all that really matters, I think. Yeah. If you like it, somebody else is going to like it. Yeah. 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 So we're at the point in the show um, where I would like to ask you if you want to share a spell, ritual, or recipe with the listeners. Sure. Um, yeah, I will. I'm. It's a spell, it's a ritual, and it's not in any of my books. Oh. Although I teach it to people. You know, it's not a secret. I teach it to people. There is a variation in 5,000 spells but it's so lengthy and time-consuming, the traditional spell, that I adapted it, mm-hmm. and I find that it works. It is a cleansing spell. It is a spell that if um, you can use it as needed, mm-hmm. if you think you it's a strong cleansing, I do it periodically, and I've had other people tell me that it works very well, and it is super inexpensive, and super easy to do, other than you have to put your emotions in it. And I would like to preface this by saying that the one thing that is not in any of the spell books is that the, in depth, 
Mm-hmm. You know, I referenced it in Pure Magic, but in, in maybe in 5,000 Spells, the most important ingredient in any spell is you mm-hmm. and your energy. And if it is going to work, you have to commit to it. Yeah. So I've had spells that I've done that I was distracted or I, I, I didn't have privacy and I kind of did them superficially and they didn't really work. Mm-hmm. But then I had the opportunity to have some privacy and some time and to really put myself in it. And you know what? They worked. So the spell requires three fruits. There's the three fruits cleansing spell. And I'm telling you this in the expectation that, remember, every spell is supposed to make your life better. Mm-hmm. If you are allergic to these items, the spell is not for you. You're going to find another one. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also in Daily Magic on, I think, the 4th of July, there is another really strong cleansing spell that involves salt. So if this, this, this one involves citrus fruits. If your skin is very sensitive, if you're allergic to citrus fruits, find a different spell. Okay. But most, most, this spell works, I think, for most people. You need three fruits, you will need one lime, you will need one lemon, and you will need one large orange or red sweet citrus. Okay. You can use the, the, I did it recently and I used a navel orange, but I've also used a red grapefruit, a sweet red grapefruit. Okay. You don't want a, a bitter red grapefruit. And that should be this, if you can't, if you find that you are in an emergency and you want to do it and you go to the supermarket and they've got crappy limes and lemons, you know, you, you use what you can do. Mm-hmm. But in an ideal world, the lime is the smallest one and it's a little round. The lemon is eye shaped. Mm-hmm. And the, cit- and, the, and the sweet fruit will be the biggest one. So you're going to cut each piece into quarters. And you're going to take it into the bathroom. And you're going to close the door. And you're going to get undressed. You're going to run a little bit of water into the tub. You're not, you're not actually taking a bath. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to immerse yourself. You need basically maybe an inch of water in the tub. You need enough water in the tub that when you let the water, when you let the drain up or down, as the case may be, mm-hmm. the fruits will move towards the drain, but not so much water that the fruit is floating and swimming around while okay. you're doing this. So you are going to start with the lime. And the lime is to remove any hexes, any curses that you know of or that you suspect Or maybe you don't even know, but maybe it's just there. It could also be for spiritual debris. And spiritual debris, there's more of this stuff in 5,000 spells. Spiritual debris is just, it's it's like, it's just stuff in the atmosphere. You know how you have furniture and like you have a piano and it collects dust Mm -hmm. and whatever, you just have to keep dusting it. Some people collect spiritual debris, depending on... You know, and it could just be that maybe you're living in a household where there's a lot of tension. Or if you're living with um, people with substance abuse issues or angry people, sometimes you just pick up stuff. Mm -hmm. It might not be meant badly, but it accumulates and it can cause blocks. And the lime is going to remove that. So you're going to take 
each quarter at a time and you're going to rub your entire body with it. And when we want to get rid of something, we move away from our heart, outwards. So you start at, let's say, from your shoulder, down your arm, and you brush past your fingers. From your thighs, down your legs to your toe. And if you're not sure where you are, it's always away from your heart. And with, with, as you're rubbing it, you're thinking, and spells are always cast in the present tense because you don't want to be happy in the future. You want to be happy now. Mm-hmm. And that is a hard thing to do because, you know, you don't want, it's not, I will be rich. I am rich. I am healthy. I am beautiful. I am loved. And the reality is you might be doing this spell because that's very much not the case, but um, you, you are changing reality. You're bending reality to make it better for you. So it's now. And even if that's a hard thing to do. So I am, you know, I am free of all curses. I am free of all hexes. There is no spiritual debris on me. There are no blocks. You you just improvise. Mm -hmm. Speak what's in your heart and focus. And whatever it is, you might surprise yourself. Things come out of your mouth sometimes that you're not expecting. And just just go with it. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's the wrong thing, fix it. If you say something and it shocks you, just fix it. You know, with the next thing you say. Um, and just keep doing it. With each quarter, when you finish that quarter, throw it into the tub with some force. Just throw it into that water. And then you do the next quarter. And you do all four quarters of the lime and then you do the lemon and if you look at the lemon on its side a lemon often looks like an eye Mm -hmm. and lemons in fact are used in evil eye magic and this is this is not a made-up spell like based on nothing limes are used in um you know if you look in 5,000 spells you'll find a lot of spells from uh, india in particular indonesia parts of asia where limes are used to break break curses, break hexes, mm-hmm. and prevent them, to block them. And lemons are often, most famously in Italian magic, as against the evil eye. Mm-hmm. And the evil eye is not the same thing as a curse. There, It's discussed in pure magic. I, I'm just editing a book now, it will also be out May 1st, by an author named Antonio Pagliarulo, which is dedicated to the evil eye, and I wrote the foreword for that book. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole big topic. The evil eye is often sent unintentionally. People, a curse is intentional. A hex is somebody's mad at you and they took the time to figure out something that will cause you harm. Sometimes the evil eye comes from grief. Someone sees your happiness and it reminds them of their loss and it just, it's a force and it spills out of them and they might not mean anything badly to you. I mean, sometimes they do, but, you know, often they don't. And the evil eye manifests in certain ways. It is a force of anti-creativity. It is a force of anti-abundance, or only an abundance of problems, rather than an abundance of good things. So you do the same thing with a lemon with each quarter, except you focus on the evil eye. There is no evil eye on me. Depending on how you feel, you could send it back. You know, some people mm-hmm. like to send it back. You know, I, you know, whoever sent it to me, I send it back to them. 
I don't personally do that because I think a lot of evil eye is unintentional, mm -hmm. but I incorporate, there is a Moroccan saying five in your eye, which comes with a thrusting gesture that might be in pure magic. And I, I do that. The, the, the concept of popping, not anybody individual's eyes and you never touch anybody else's eyes, but the evil eye is it's like, you know, in the Lord of the Rings, the eye of Sauron, mm -hmm. it's that force of this, this, ever-present malevolent it's the opposite of magical energy it's it's a withering energy that makes everything worse and so five in your eye you know i pop all the eyes i you know the eyes can't see me the eyes are broken the eye uh, you know i am free of any of this i am free from and with each with each slice of lemon each quarter um you can and somebody just re I, I did it with somebody who doesn't like the number four change it you don't like four do five do six do mm -hmm. two you know just none of this should be stressful for you i find a quarter is just nice and even and it works mm -hmm. and you know but you know you do you essentially it has to work for you and mm -hmm. so with each of the lemons you thrust it into the water so now you have eight quarter eight pieces of fruit in the water and now you move to the big fruit and so imagine so nature abhors a vacuum you can't just remove everything without bringing something in because otherwise you, you want to control what's coming in you you don't want just you don't want that evil eye creeping in or you know it's like those uh the antibiotic resistant bacteria you get rid of them you get rid of some bacteria and then something worse comes in so you are bringing the sunshine into your life and joy and you know, I always think of the Ten of Swords where the sun is coming up. I interpret it as the sun coming up in the, the Rider-Waite-Smith in the background. Mm -hmm. The sun is rising. So even though you think you've had this terrible experience, there is, you know, another day mm -hmm. and another more hope for a better existence. And so when you are bringing something into your life rather than banishing it, you you do it from the opposite direction mm -hmm. towards the heart. So from your fingertips up your arm, your toes up your leg. And it's like a big ball of sunshine. What do you want, you know, in your life? Now you're, you, I taste the orange. I, I like citrus fruit. So I make sure that I taste whatever, you know, the sweetness of it. And you're going to be sticky. It's a sticky spell. And, you know, I am happy, I am healthy, I am loved, I am, you know, whatever, I have money, people can't wait to give me money, I can't, you know, if you need a job, the job opportunities are flowing to me, whatever it is that you need, and maybe some other things too, just the nice things in life, these are the things that you want to bring into your life, and you say it as if it's true now, and you do the same thing with each quarter, you throw it into the water. Okay, so now you've got these 12 pieces of fruit in the water, but we're not done because we're going to do a divination with it. So you may have to wipe off your eyes. Don't bathe. Don't rinse this off. But look at the tub. And there, you have three distinct colors, you know, green, yellow, orange, or red. And so where is the fruit? Is it all the way in the back? Is it near the drain? 
I mean, you can do this with a shower too, because mm -hmm. I mean, it's not going to go down the drain. So, you know, you could do this with a shower, depending on the type of shower you have. You could maybe even do this with a big, like one of those big, um, I don't know what you call them, the like a big pot like that people mm -hmm. used to bathe in, mm -hmm. like a, or a cauldron. You know, you can adapt this to your own needs. It doesn't actually, you're not getting in the tub. So it doesn't, it's just convenient in the tub for me. Mm -hmm. But you could do it however. You have to, the water has to be able to go down. So, I mean, I think that the cauldron is going to be difficult unless you drain it someplace. You could potentially maybe drain it in a kitchen sink. So, you know, you have to think. This mm -hmm. is for smart people. You have to... If it doesn't work, think about how are you going to make it work for you? Mm -hmm. And look at where where are the fruits? Are they near the drain? Are they far away? Are they all clumped together? You can have a little bit of control over this. You can, as you're throwing the fruit, and I find that after you've done one or two pieces, your eyes will be closed because you've got fruit in your face. And so you can't control this too much. You can throw it towards the drain, but you don't want to you don't want to aim for the drain because you'll lose your divination. Mm -hmm. What you're going to do now is you're going to let the, let the water out and you're going to watch the fruit go towards the drain or not. If all the fruit goes towards the drain and it's near the drain, then it worked. If none of the fruit goes down to the drain, if it's stuck in the middle of the tub or back, you know, it didn't work. Okay. And you need to take, there genuinely is something that's stronger than this, and you need to take stronger measures. Okay. If realistically, some of the fruit is going to go down, and some of it might not. Mm -hmm. Take a look, what is not going down? If the fruit that is resisting going down is the green one, well, you know, maybe you have, you know, not to scare anybody, but maybe you do have a curse on you, or mm -hmm. a hex. It's, you know, probably not a big familial curse, depending on, you know, you probably would know that if you had that, mm -hmm. but maybe it's, a, you know, if you hang out with angry magical practitioners, well, you know, uh, people do things. Um, yeah. You know, some people are inclined to physically beat people and some people are inclined to curse them. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, you have that, that spiritual debris. So, so that's what you need to work on. If it's a lemon, then, well, maybe you need to take stronger measures or the evil eye. Um, and there are, you know, ways that you can remove it. You know, it's not something that's permanent. If it's the orange one, mm -hmm. then there's some resistance to happiness. And it might be coming from within you. That might not be magical. It might be that maybe you feel you don't deserve to be happy. Or somebody else doesn't, somebody else is putting a break on your happiness like are you do you live with your mom and she's afraid if you go off and you do something or your kid you know and if you go off and do what will really make you happy you'll leave them and they love you but they want you they want you to be who they want you to be so there's all sorts of reasons why it's not going down but you're not going to leave it there because magic is about taking spells it's about taking control of your situation and so what you're going to do is once you've done this little analysis and it, you, you'll do it faster than I'm telling it to you, take your hand, the fruit that is not at the drain, shove it, shove it down to the drain. And you know, I am in control. I will be happy. What, what I, there, I, I break that evil eye, whatever it is, just say it, shove it down to the drain. And then when it's there, okay, 
You don't want to ruin your plumbing. You're not going to force it down the drain. What you're going to do is you're going to remove it and put it in a bag. And you want to immediately take it out of your house. Do not eat the fruit. Do not eat that fruit. Do not feed it to anybody else because you're taking it back then. You want this, has, this is something that has to go. You know, the part of the happiness, the orange is sticking to you. Mm-hmm. So it's okay. You're going to throw it away. And if you can wait a little while to wash it off, it's better. If you can, you know, even just half an hour, an hour, depending on how much it irritates you or longer, you know, but don't, don't make yourself crazy. Just don't wash it off right away. But when you do rinse it off, you know, the bonus is your, you know, it will exfoliate you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When you do, don't put your old clothes. You don't need new clothes. You don't have to go out and buy a new outfit. Um, but put clean clothes on. Okay. Put on something that you weren't wearing before. Use a clean towel to dry yourself off. And it's, it's a good thing to do maybe before you go to bed mm-hmm. because it can stimulate dreams. Okay. And no, so so that's my, that's my ritual. I love that. That's so amazing. The, the version, and the, the version, the, tr- the classical version of this involves 21 fruits. Oh my goodness gracious. each. And I'm not saying that if you really need, if you have an emergency, I, I wouldn't tell you not to do it. But I know how long this one works. Mm-hmm. It, it takes a long time. So wow. 21, 21 fruits is an all day thing. That's a lot of fruits. It's a lot of fruit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, would you like to share a card poll with us? I could. Does anybody have a question or do you want me just to pull a card? Um, I usually just pull a card that's for like a, the collective, what everyone that's listening needs to know. Uh, today. Well, hopefully I'm not going to give you the tower. <laughs> Please don't give us the tower. But if you do, <laughs> then, we'll, then we'll deal with it. <laughs> okay. Do you want, I'm going to, I'm going to run my fingers over the cards. You tell me when to pick one. Okay. Whenever you're ready. Now. It is not the tower. <laughs> is, is it the three of swords? <laughs> No, it is, it is, um, it is the, no. Although I, I, I'll tell you something with the three of swords. I teach, I teach tarot classes and I, I have taught private tarot classes and I always start, I start teaching by telling people to tell me what they see. What do you see when you look at the cards? And I had, and and most people, when you see the, you know, the three of swords, most Mm -hmm. people see heartache, you know, hard problems, you know, but I taught a woman who was a classical pianist and she told me that what she saw in that card was that moment of sublime beauty that pierces your heart. Oh, wow. And I never thought of that. I thought it was so beautiful. And now I can't look at the card without thinking of that. That's amazing. So I give you, I give you a, a positive meaning for that card. Well, thank you. No, we have the, we have the five of cups reversed. And sometimes I read reversals and sometimes I don't. And the Five of Cups is often about regret or about not not being in the moment. Um, not being in the moment. Nostalgia. Thinking about what's been lost um, mm-hmm. rather than what you have. You know, often it's like it's in, you know, you've had this terrible loss, but you can't see the other things. I mean, in families, you know, mm-hmm. you've lost one person from the family. And the, you know, the other children often feel very neglected because 
you know, I, I'm here. Right. Um, but it's reversed. And so I think this is very much, I don't know, it's a really hard time. I, I, it's just the last couple of years, you know, March 2020, we entered a new world, you know, a new age. Mm -hmm. And and it has not been, the birth throes have not been easy. And I think it's very spiritually charged. And there's a lot of people out there who are very frustrated and angry and scared. Mm -hmm. But to me, um, I'm not going to tell this as a personal card. I think this is for all of us. I think this is encouraging us not just to focus on what's been lost because I, I we can't just rewind. It's never, it's never going back to normal. Right. It's never, by, when people say normal, what they mean is they want it to be 2018 or 2019 right. and we're not worrying about the stuff, but we have had, you know, you have experiences and you're changed, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean everything is terrible. Right. And th there are things that will come from this that even though things are lost, and I think it's the same thing with every time in history when something amazing has been lost, but there will be things that come in that will be new and that will bring us joy and illumination. And so, you know, move forward you know madam xanadu the comic book you know enter freely and fear no fear i'm i'm paraphrasing but you know where we are in this new world and we should enter in in the knowledge of what is out there and what it is and accept it as as what is actually happening i don't know if i'm saying that right i mean there are things we shouldn't accept but i mean that's the whole point of magic mm -hmm. but um you know, here we are, and this is our situation. And how are we going to move forward? And how are we going to how are we going to live in positive ways, rather than you know just sort of digging in our heels? And but it's not what it used to be. Yeah, it's a very profound card for now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is a. Uh, I mean, I think this is a very profound time that we're in. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the curse, you know, may you live in interesting times, but we are certainly, we are, we, here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's nothing if not interesting. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I often think about my children, you know, they, they were born uh, 2007 and 2008. So, you know, it's after 9-11 and, and so things have changed yeah. that way and now, you know, they, they were yeah. in their early teens when COVID happened. Uh, they were both in middle school, actually. You know, so like this, this world is their actual normal. <laughs> no, it is their normal. Yeah. Right. Right. It's, right. it's weird and different for us, but they're just going with the flow because that's what they have, you know. Well, you know, you think about it with technology because, you know, my parents grew up without telephones. Mm-hmm. And even when they came to America and we had telephones in the house, it was always the phone would ring. Oh, the phone! Like, it was a big deal. Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, like, I've always had a phone. You know, it's not a big deal. Right. Uh, the phone rings, like, I'll answer it or I won't answer it. It's, yeah. you know, you know, I have control of it, but my children have never not had... Have, I mean, I didn't have a cell phone for a long time and I resisted, mm -hmm. but they have never lived in a world where consciously where there wasn't a cell phone yeah. and that is like a whole conscious change yeah absolutely like the fact that you can reach out to me you know i used to go to school and i would come home 
There was no communication between us. Mm-hmm. Like people would go to work. You just assumed they were coming back. Yeah. Yeah. There is no texting to say they were late or, oh, I got stuck or the traffic is bad. You would just, you would just stay, you know, you would just worry or. Yeah. So that's a whole different mindset. Like I can't imagine going back. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. And the, the just knowledge immediately, you know, well, I don't know what that means. And then you look it up. That's, I think it's actually made me stupider because I don't have to retain information anymore. In some ways, <laughs> I used to be really good. I, I was really good at um, remembering phone numbers mm. and I don't anymore. Yeah. Like I, I, I knew phone, like phone numbers I used all the time. I would just dial them. I knew them. And now I don't, I barely know mine. I know. You just push a button. But other things are better, you know? And I think um, like cell phones, like the cameras, like you take pictures of stuff and you can document things that we couldn't do before. Yeah, that's true. So it's, it's just, it's a different, it's different. And I think, you know, like there was, you know, before the pill, and after the pill mm-hmm. and before AIDS and out, I mean, I, in my life, you know, before AIDS and after AIDS and yeah. before nine 11 and after nine 11 mm-hmm. and all these sort of consciousness shifts. And now, you know, before coronavirus and after coronavirus, mm-hmm. um, and you know, children being born now, this is just going to be a fact of life for them. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's certainly, I mean, I, re- I remember I was a travel agent. I, I wrote tickets for people like, you know, you didn't have to show ID if mm-hmm. you were traveling domestically. I believe I wrote a ticket for Minnie Mouse once. Oh. Because, and I, I would handwrite tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm probably the, one of the last, you know, probably one of the youngest people who could handwrite an airline ticket. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. You know, I would, I was a, I was a good travel agent. I broke rules that you can't now because everything is computerized. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to have a certain amount of time between flight connecting flights. Mm-hmm. But I did a lot of, I, I was a corporate travel agent. I, I didn't do people's vacations. I did people's work things. And they were like, they were like, I mean, you'd be in Mogadishu. I mean, which like you're not flying through anymore now I did a lot of bankers and uh, you know you needed a tight connection because if you didn't make that connection you were stuck at the airport and I would handwrite the tickets mm-hmm. I would break things into different currencies to get people uh, better prices mm-hmm. these are all things that just don't exist anymore mm-hmm. like I know somebody's out there going what what is that but I, I mean it was just something that people you know 1980s it was just something you did yeah it's interesting how life evolves and time evolves well we we take these circuitous paths and we end up in places like you never expected to be i'm personally but also you know as people as as communities yeah like how did we get here yeah it's uh you know it's pretty amazing yeah yeah. I mean, sometimes for the good, but sometimes not. So do you have any upcoming events uh, or anything that you would like to share? I don't. I am I am really busy at work, and I, I am not traveling at the moment. I don't even, you know, I, I entered 2024. 2020, God, I'm ahead of my 2023. 
<laughs> that was scary. Uh, uh, 2023, I don't, I don't have any events currently. You know, I probably will. Mm -hmm. I would like to start teaching some private classes, but I'm not doing it yet. Mm -hmm. I have plans for books, but I, I'm not working on them yet. I wrote five forwards last year to other people's books. Mm. And so that, that was exciting. And they're just, they're all just starting to be published now. Yeah. So, so that's sort of a, an exciting thing. I, I'm, what am I doing? I, I'm editing other people's books and thinking about what I'm going to write next. Sounds, that, that, that's where I am. That sounds great. And I, I need to get my, my, my website fixed and, you know, all kinds of maintenance. All right. You want to share your socials with us? I will. Uh, I'm on, um, my website is, is damaged. Some people tell me they can access it, but that's going to get fixed. But I, I know it's damaged. Mm. Like people, everybody emails me, do you know? Yes, yes I, know. I know. I just haven't, <laughs> I just haven't, I haven't had a chance to fix it yet, but, but I will. I am on Twitter. I am on Instagram and I am, I will never, you know, there's a lot of imposters out there. I will never solicit a reading from you. I, if I ever offer to do a reading for you, I will offer to do it for free. I will never uh, solicit. So, because there are just these terrible imposters yeah. scamming people out there. It's really awful. I'm on Insta. I mean, it's my name, J-U-D-I-K-A, uh, last name Ellis, I-L-L-E-S. And you can find me on Twitter and you can find me on Instagram. Facebook is a little more complicated. I have three Facebook pages. Okay. Uh, I have an author page, which is, uh, it might be uh, called the Judica Ellis fan page. Okay. Somebody built it for me. And you don't have to, you can just like mm -hmm. that and uh, it'll, it'll show up in your feed. You don't have, you don't need an invite or anything. And then when I had a personal page, um, which is Judica Ellis, my name, when I hit 5,000, it bothered me. It bothered me that when people would say, I can't get in your Facebook, I would have to say, well, I already have too many friends because I just thought that was so yeah. arrogant. Like, <laughs> I never have too many friends. So I started a second page, which is not full. Um, Judica Ellis, the regular one, is pretty much maxed out all the mm -hmm. time. But Judica Ellis 2 with Roman numerals and if you're looking at it now, it's got a, uh, the icon is an icon of Medusa. Okay. Um, and that one's got plenty of room. So come join me. Great. Awesome. And I, and I, I, I will accept, I, I have to accept them like five people at a mm -hmm. time because otherwise Facebook will shut you down and accuse you of doing, I don't know what. So I can't, you know, if there, if there are a lot of requests and I can't accept them all in the same mm -hmm. day, but I will, I, but I will accept them. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for joining me today, Judica. That was... Thank you for having me. That was it was fun. so much fun. What a great interview. I really enjoyed all of your all of your information and your stories. That was a really, really great one. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I look forward to uh, maybe your mystery novels coming out someday. <laughs> me too. <laughs> but yeah, thank you again very, very much. We'll see you next time. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Hearth and Hedge, on our website, thehearthandhedge.com, or you can email us at thehearthandhedge at gmail.com. We also have a Patreon that can be found at patreon.com slash thehearthandhedge. If you like what you hear, consider leaving a review wherever you find your podcasts.